Good morning, River City. It is so good to see everybody. Um, my name is Antramika Knight, and I have the pleasure of welcoming you here to River City this Sunday. Um, it's Advent season, um, and today is the second Sunday of Advent, and the theme is peace. Theme is peace, double checking. Um, and throughout the service today, we'll be incorporating um, the Advent. Um, we'll be incorporating peace um, and readings and um, inviting our middle schoolers and our high schoolers to into the season, and we're so thankful for that. Um, we start our service by reading from the lectionary, and the lectionary is a schedule of readings throughout the year um, and they have one for every day of the week and it's a great way for us to connect with the global church um, but you can also use it individually um, so if you have any questions about that you can talk to myself or anybody on the staff um, today is psalm 72 um, it's verses 1 to 7 and then it jumps to verse 18 and 19 but it says Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills and righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people, give deliverance to the children of the needy, and crush the oppressor. May they fear you while the sun endures and as long as the moon throughout all generations. May he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days, may the righteousness flourish and peace abound till the moon be no more. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever, May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. If we bow our heads in prayer. Lord, we gather here at River City this Sunday. We recognize the Advent season. We recognize peace, Father God, and that you alone are the cornerstone of peace. We thank you that you cannot be substituted or remade or remixed, Father God. Thank you that you are the original, the alpha, and the omega. We pray in this season for those who experience the complexity of family, the swings of emotions, Father God. They are not forgotten and they are loved here. We pray for our River City community, Father God, and we invite them in to Advent with us. Thank you for our middle schoolers and our high schoolers. We love you, Lord. Amen. I'm going to ask that you stay standing or stand with me as we pray for our community. We say glory, glory, hallelujah. As we look at the needs and the suffering of our present world, God, we believe that you are coming just as you came in a manger. The lectionary reading for today is for Matthew 3, which it says, In those days John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, Repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And so God, today we're asking that you might come near 
to these places in which are suffering, both in this room and in our community, God, and the world beyond. So God, today we pray for the Universal Church, its members and its mission. God, for all of the churches of Smyrna and Metro Atlanta area. God, that you might be present amidst our differences as we gather to worship you this morning. God, for the persecuted church, for the pastors that were martyred this week in India. God, in the deep pain that comes with suffering in these places, God, that you might be present and come near. God, for the massacre of 14 Christians at a church in Burkina Faso just seven days ago, God, we proclaim that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of your church. God, that you will bring forth fruit amidst the pain and God, death cannot hold you back. In light of these things, we proclaim that the kingdom of heaven is coming near. For our world and all those in it, God, for the 40 who are dead in India from a factory fire just 12 hours ago, God, who are still trying to piece together and smoke is still rising at this moment. God, we pray for the, all those affected, God, that you might bring your peace. God, for the flooding in Eastern Africa that's taken the lives of 16 Ugandans this week. God, we pray that you would cease the floods. God, that there might be peace in that region. God, for the nine Kurdish children that were murdered this week, there's been 34 kids that have died in the last four weeks from the unrest in Syria and in Turkey. God, we pray that you would liberate these people. God, come to them during this Advent season as you have come to us. God, show up in dreams and in visions, in places, God, that they would least expect that there might be hope. God, for the report this week of 629 Pakistani women who have been trafficked as brides in China, God, that you might bring justice. Many of them among the, minor, the minority Christians in Pakistan. God, that these women are being sold for dollars. God, that you might bring justice to those who are oppressing these women. God, that you would bring hope and peace to them as they suffer. In light of these things, we proclaim that the kingdom of heaven is coming near. For the welfare of Smyrna and Cobb County, God, for the newly elected officials, including Derek Norton, God, we pray that you would bring unity and peace in our city in the midst of divisive times, that you would lead our officials to act justly and mercifully towards the people of this city. God, we pray this morning for those in our community who are without homes in the cold weather. God, that you would bring warmth and comfort in the midst of hardship. God, we need you lead us to compassion. God, for the sexually abused in our city, that you might bring justice and release from captivity. God, for the orphans and foster children in our area, lead us to action that we might be an answer. In light of these things, we proclaim that the kingdom of heaven is coming near. God, for the concerns of this local community, and all those that suffer in it. God, we pray for Cassie Witt's mom, Donna Stevens, this morning, as many of us have been praying for her. We pray that you'd bring healing to her as she sits in her hospital bed now, that God, that you'd bring comfort to Josh and Cassie in the midst of this difficult time. God, we pray for the family of Brett Lee, 
Josh, the 25-year-old who Josh did the funeral for yesterday. God, we pray that there would be peace in his family, that they might be able to make sense of what's happened. But God, that there would be a hope for the new life. God, we pray for anyone else here that suffers. God, those unspoken and those spoken. God, the things that are known that come to our minds, God, that we lift those things up to you and ask that you would bring the advent of Jesus and the hope of the world to us. In the mighty name of Jesus, we ask these things and proclaim that the kingdom of heaven is coming near to us. In Jesus' name, amen. How's everybody doing? It's good. Who's already too busy? Yeah. The others are just lying. Who's already lying? Cool. We're all going to be in those categories. Um, so, second Sunday of Advent. Uh, I'm going to jump right in today. I'm not going to keep you forever. Um, not missing anything. We've had so many things on other services that I already feel like I missed something. Uh, but I haven't. You're here. You guys are here. Well, some of you. And so today, we're going to be jumping into a passage from Matthew that has to do with repentance. And you guys are pumped about this, right? Mm -hmm. So Advent does this crazy thing with us with it, it. It does something in a season of Christmas that almost makes us stop what we're doing. All of us at this point are figuring out where we're celebrating. We've already probably gone to something Christmas-related. We're kind of amping up for the goodness that is Christmas and just hanging out and being with our families, celebrating Jesus. And these are good things, but Advent is a thing that comes along and it's jarring to us. It asks us to pause for a moment. And it's difficult for us because Jesus has already come in a lot of ways. Jesus also hasn't come in a lot of ways to many of us. And so today, Advent makes us push pause and it does so by introducing a character that we're all familiar with named John the Baptist. Yep, right on, John the Baptist. <laughs> He's killing it. He's killing it in his day. Um, John is, is almost a comical character to us. It's almost so not real and so otherly that we kind of dismiss it. But he's very not Christmas. He's very different than what's being offered in Jesus after he begins to speak. We cannot avoid him. If you try any gospel en route, every single one of them starts with John the Baptist preparing the way and saying what? Repent in a Charlton Heston voice, right? Repent, the kingdom is near. And so part of me, as I start today, I've already spent so much time really pastorally helping people to see that Jesus is not angry with them, but it's there no matter what. And as you hear a word like repentance, at least if you're like me, it's connected to the already list of things about yourself that are wrong. And the already disapproval that you have of yourself and the already indictment you have on yourself. And I don't think when they heard this, it had the same kind of connotations. I'm not trying to less, lessen what it is, but I don't think they think of it and thought of it the way that we think of it. I don't think in their society, who you are was built around as much of what you do as ours is. 
and how from a young age, all of us have tried to become something so that we could have worth and how our identity is deeply ingrained in how much we can do, what we're good at, what we're not good at, who we're connected with, who we're not connected with, what we're going towards, what we're not going towards. So for most of us, if we're honest, we are already our own worst judge. And so I want to just back up from that for a moment and create a space today to remind you that your identity has nothing to do with what you've done, will do, are doing. Those things do affect you. So to say, I can do whatever I want, is the same to say that those 600 women that were taken, their captors don't need to be judged, right? Judgment and confession and repentance is beautiful because of what it leads to. But it looks very different for different people, right? To powers that control and harm, you would be afraid of the, of the judgment coming through Christ. To the brokenhearted, to those sold into sex trafficking, to those who are being manipulated and harmed, the judgment of Christ would feel like life breath, right? So depending on where you are and what you've built, judgment will look very different. And so when we hear the voice of John the Baptist crying out, repent, the kingdom is near, be baptized. I want to lessen the idea that he is angry with you and he is only reiterating the voices you already speak against yourself. Most of you have become so in unison with the voice of culture requiring more of you that you can't accomplish. It's not worth it. And so in this room right now are people that have been fleeing Christian judgment their whole lives. I actually think our church has a collection of people who have fleed other churches, and we're not a perfect church, believe me. There's people in other rooms, there's people at other churches that have fleed River City because we're humans, and that's a reality. That's a reality you need to be aware of. We are not doing it perfect, we are people. But I can promise you when we hear these words at the beginning of each of the Gospels, repent, the kingdom is coming near. The message is that Jesus is coming, and it's not that repentance means everything is good, because we know that that's not true. So as I start to read these today, I want to ask you to to take off a lens or just even recognize right now what might already be surfacing when you're hearing these words within yourself. What is happening in you? Would you love it if Jesus were to sit right in front of you and say, confess your sin to me? Would you love it if someone like John the Baptist spoke to you and said, repent. Let those feelings surface so that the way can be prepared for life that conquers death, for identity that's found outside of what you've done, for a completely new beginning, for a way to be in the world that helps you to see those that are broken and step in. Let the voice of John the Baptist give way to that within your own heart that creates space for a Savior so that you can taste and see that he is good. That's the message of the gospel. It's so good 
So Jesus, today, bring this truth to life and help me not to butcher the text or the hearts that are in this room. In fact, I understand that the power of the gospel has less to do with my words and more to do with who you are, Jesus. So in whatever ways you can be magnified today, let that happen. Whatever ways I can be lessened, and Father, you know I feel pretty lessened today. Let let me just stay in that space as I preach this. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a man named Alexander White that was a preacher in Edinburgh from 1830 to 1910, and they said about him, that's a long time to preach, by the way. Anybody pick that up? When I was reading, I was like, wait, for 90 years? This guy's killing it. And his message, they would say about him, if you want to go listen to Alexander White, you're taking your life into your own hands. Because he was known to speak so plainly, right? Like, I know I've said before, people that say, I tell it like it is, um, I don't typically enjoy that. Like, I, I think sometimes you could just also say, you're rude. Maybe that's enough. You know, with the gospel specifically, though, I think telling it like it is, depending on who you're talking to and what that means, right? Like, whatever it meant for them, when you went to see this preacher, people said, you're taking your life into your own hands. So there's a quote from a couple guys, and none of them would claim it. It's kind of interesting. You can pull it up, Bill. Um, they actually wrote a book together, and uh, they didn't, neither one of them would say who said this quote. But it said, indeed, one of us is tempted to think there is not much wrong with the church that could not be cured by God calling about a hundred really insensitive, (laughs) uncaring, and offensive people into ministry. That seems awful, right? Seems awful. But as I talk about this message today, there's edges to it that I can't lessen. There's edges to what I'm about to say that I can't lessen because what's at stake is that important. To speak as truthfully to this as possible would be the best gift that I could give to you so that it feels like something's at stake. If you hear anger in my voice, I'm doing it wrong. If you hear resentment in my words, I'm speaking them wrong. I've added myself too much to it. If you hear hope that feels like it could accomplish anything, Jesus is then present. That's my prayer today as I read this to you. I'm going to read you this passage. You've already heard it once today through Jordan. So in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For for this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. And his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins, so thankful that it didn't quote what sins they were confessing, because we would be jacked up if they did. We would lay into those two or three things. I do believe we've put some there that we think are the ones that everybody's supposed to confess. I digress. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, (laughs) you bread of vipers, right? Like we say, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. 
And do not presume to say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you. God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So these are are tough words. Just real quick, though, I would love it if somebody sent me a Christmas card with some of these words on it. I challenge anybody in here to send someone a Christmas card that says, you brought a vipers, the kingdom is at hand. Don't be the chaff, right? Like, but this, whether we like it or not, this is part of the story. This is part of the story of the gospel of Jesus and of Christmas. This is part of what we have to ingest to understand what God is doing. John goes to the wilderness, which is interesting because if you ever want to bring power to a certain or introduce a new structure of power, you would typically go to the city center. So for someone to go to the country and the wilderness to present their system of power is peculiar. And for people then to go from Jerusalem to visit John, this is a preacher we don't go visit. If this is happening in America, there's this guy that's coming. He's going to be in Chattanooga. It's kind of the city if you're from Atlanta. It's its own, its own city, but it's still kind of it's a little bit country. So there's this guy coming to Chattanooga. His message is repent, the kingdom is at hand. Not many people are driving to Chattanooga to listen to this person's message, right? Like, what are the messages we drive to go see? The father's heart, papa's heart, daddy mama's heart, mama's heart, <laughs> the love of God, the grace of God, the peace of God, the joy of God, the fruit of God, the gifts of God, right? The 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 things we go see, there is more. Like we go see this. This is the, the preacher chosen to introduce all of the gospels. We don't drive to see this guy. But these people do. These people from Jerusalem make a trek, however long it is, to go out into the wilderness to see John the Baptist, who is in the wilderness, right? He's been called like the second Isaiah because he speaks prophetically like Isaiah did. But the difference is Isaiah was friends with kings and emperors and rulers. and Those were his buddies. That's not to be found here. He's friends with people who eat locusts. And I think there's a clear message here, right? There's a message pointing to what Jesus will say when he talks about, I come to the poor in spirit and those who are broken. And he chooses John the Baptist and not someone who's friends of kings who wears camel hair and eats locusts, and I'm sure doesn't bathe, and isn't friendly with the political authorities in in the city. He goes outside the city. I do think it's interesting that John has a view then. I think there's something really interesting, and I was going to figure out if I wanted to be transparent today, and then Rachel kind of prepared the way, so I appreciate that. So I've done two funerals in, in two weeks. One for a 98-year-old man. That's interesting that someone lives that long. And who's around? Like, if you live to be 98, all your friends aren't there. They're already in heaven waiting on you, right? If you're 98 in here, this is nothing against you. (laughs) I just want to say, good job. (laughs) What did you do? Then I did a funeral yesterday for a 25-year-old. Like, right, like, and so... There's only a certain amount of funerals you can do in a year where it doesn't impact you, and it should impact you, and it's impacted me, and I feel weary 
by it. You know, in the midst of ministry, in the midst of all that happens in a week, and preparing to speak to a church, and loving my kids not well, and being angry that Alethea only took one shot in the basketball game. Come on, take more shots. Like, all of this has got me to a space of, of weariness, right? I don't even know how I got here. Can you remind me, Jordan, how I got here? Transparency. Yeah, so for me, right, this is what I was going to say. Sarah reminded me yesterday. Sarah's my wife. She's over here. She knows I'm in a spot where I'm like, what? What happened? Who? Uh, things are more tense than they should be. Things that shouldn't trigger me are triggering me. She reminded me, you need to get away. And basically said, get away. <laughs> she was like, your family's going on a vacation tomorrow. Go. Like, I don't even want to go to the beach. She was like, go to the beach. So I was reminded that there are times, right, in the things that our lives compress onto us, that when you're in the midst of it, there is no real way to hear from God. It is impossible. So for a for a gospel to be started with a person selected by God to prepare the way to leave the busyness to a place of wilderness, which none of us want to go, unless you're skilled in the wilderness and then you love it. It's really interesting, actually. The wilderness is horrifying for most people, unless you're skilled, and then you have a TV show and your name is Bear Grylls. Once you learn the rhythms and how to stay alive in a wilderness... It's like respite. It really is. It's like more life is coming. And so John the Baptist selects a place outside the city, outside of the structures, outside of the powers, outside of the reminders of who he is in that community to be reminded who he is by God to prepare the way. And so people travel outside of that normal structure to visit him in this wilderness place, and they have to travel a long way. And when they get there, they have to repent. It's not like we're promising you when you get here that you get, you're going to get like a good night's sleep. There's going to be one of those huts. It's not going to be super warm, but it's going to have enough heat. You're going to have a bed. It's not that, right? He's saying, Jesus is coming. The Messiah is coming. And the way that you prepare the way is getting out of all of that and creating a space to examine yourself because you can't save yourself. You can do the examining to see what structures might be there that needed to be handed over. I love that that last song didn't just speak against a political power. It didn't just have an agenda-sized voice, but it also spoke to the powers within ourselves. The powers that be in our own lives, the ones that we need to repent of. The ones that oppose others and harm others. The ones that make sure I'm blessed, but you're not. The ones that demand my blessing right now that I don't even know what, what you're even praying for until next February. This gospel takes a man outside of the busyness, sets up a space so people can come outside of the busyness, hear him say, repent and be baptized, so that they can do some self-examination because who is coming is worth that. And he's coming, and he's here. So for me, the idea of repentance, right, I had a conversation with one of our staff this week, and I think for me what I instantly go to when I think about repentance is the things that I already know that I'm doing wrong that I feel like I have no control over. Those are what I keep repenting. But it was, it was a skilled professional to help me see that the things that I need to actually repent of are a lot more clever within my heart. They look like self-hate, which is almost acceptable. 
Because if you're beating yourself up, it's still within your power. So I had a conversation with a staff member this week, and we have this misunderstanding that sometimes when I'm around this person, and it's not you, so you're good. You, you would know that. <laughs> sometimes when I'm around this person, I receive this message that I've harmed this person. And my instant defenses are, I want to back off. And we had this conversation. I was like, I feel like I should back off because are you saying that I've done something? And they're like, no, I'm not saying that at all. I'm like, well, I was confused by it because you act like I'm doing something. And it had nothing to do with me, right? There I am again, putting myself in the center of everyone's struggle, like none of us do. But I learned that I have to repent for beating myself up because that's a narcissistic form of me continuing my own kingdom. That's a lot different than being like, you're bad, Josh. You're not a good pastor. Like, forgive me. You're not a good husband. Forgive me. I want to be a good husband. I want to be a good pastor. So when I take on the weight of then beating myself up, that's something to be repented of. For you, please don't hear Jesus reiterating how terrible a person you are. Hear that he came to bring life and life abundantly, and he's asking for space to come and indwell within you. He's trying to create a space. So when I think of repentance... It's not as hard-edged for me anymore. Because anything that would get in the way of what he's trying to do, it's a little bit like this. When I was a freshman in college, my dad showed up and gave me a Honda Prelude, a 1996 Honda Prelude. I don't know how he got it. I don't know how I got it. It was a stick shift. It didn't have a seat lever, so the seat literally went all the way back. So I found a crate. And I put a crate behind my seat, and that was my, like, thing. And I had it. I was the guy with the crate seat, and I drove a prelude. And without the crate, I couldn't drive the car. And I learned how to be in that car without figuring out. I probably should have just driven somewhere and been like, can you fix my seat? And there were multiple times in that car where I almost wrecked because of that, to have a seat down or to be. And it's a little bit like this is. Maybe a terrible illustration, but we become so familiar with the ways that we're broken that we don't see how it's keeping us from driving like we should drive and how he intends not for us to walk around beating ourselves up or struggling through a brokenness and allowing it to remain. And I'm not saying if you're broken in some ways and you don't know how to get help, that you're not in the will of God or that you're just not claiming your blessing. I'm not saying any of that. I'm saying that Jesus intends to be the space that fills us so full that anything that would keep that from happening within us needs to be given to him, right? I have another car illustration that I just feel like will be redundant, but I'm not going to do it. So you can ask me about it later if you'd like. So I'm going to read you a quote. And this is Fleming Rutledge. She's brilliant. When John the Baptist, probably the most single-minded person who ever lived said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. His whole being, his existence was on fire with the reality of the one who was coming. He was in the grip of what I've been calling apocalyptic transvision. That vision given to the church that sees through this appearances of the world to the blazing power of holiness that's to come in the Lord. John the Baptist is the ultimate embodiment of the apocalyptic character of the Christian faith. 
Faith that is oriented not just to the past, but to the future. Not to the repetition of religious exercises, but to the person of the Messiah. Not to the arrangements as they are, but to an utterly new authority and dominion. In the most extraordinary way, John is truly our contemporary. He stands at the very precipice of collision of two forces. At the juncture where a world's resistance to God meets the irresistible force of the one who is coming. The axe is laid to the root of the trees. There he is, and there he will be until the trumpet sounds. Forever summoning us to rethink and reorder our lives totally. Orienting ourselves to an altogether new perspective, the perspective of God. Repentance is about being oriented rightly. So hear the beckoning of a Jesus coming that's already come, that is in so many ways as specific to your heart right now as to the people that came. And just be aware, as you're in this room, the voices of your previous captives are going to start speaking. They showed up here. The Pharisees and the Sadducees decided to make the trek as well, which is interesting. But it's also interesting that they had a little less power in that environment. In fact, when they spoke up, John spoke back and said, you brought a vipers. So if you happen to be walking to a wilderness or in a space where you don't know how to survive, and the coyotes, or coyotes, depending on where you're from, are howling, and the wild pigs are about, and you feel fearful for your faith even, and you don't know where to go, and the voices start to speak again, remember whose you are. Because in baptism, you want to get me started on baptism? In baptism, this is where God acts fully, claiming us in the new life in Christ, where we are reminded what really matters, where Christ tells us whose we are, who we are, and what we're called to. Your baptism is where you receive your identity. You know what's interesting about this scene? If you just read a couple verses ahead, who shows up? Jesus. So these people don't even know it. But right after this, right after this happened, Jesus shows up and says, you baptize me. And John's like, I ain't baptizing you. And Jesus is like, I think you're going to baptize me. And he baptizes him. So, stay with me. The very spot that he was drawn, the people were drawn out of their comfort zone into a place that felt desolate to repent is the exact spot where Jesus showed up. It's the exact spot where the actual Jesus showed up, not just a metaphorical one. It's the spot where he comes right in that moment. When they create a path, he says he's coming and John doesn't even know he's coming right then. And he shows up, the real Jesus. The real Jesus shows up in the place where they create space, where they get away from the noise to hear who they are, whose they are, and what they're called to. Some of you need to get in your car today and drive to a cabin and get away from the nonsense. And Christmas can be nonsense. Why do we have 32 parties? We don't even have that many days in the month. What are we doing? Most of us are trying to remember how good it was. He's drawing us into a new created life. It's going to get better. That song we sang, right? What Rachel spoke. The Jesus that comes is the Jesus that brings life. If you don't feel it yet, live in an embodied future faith. It's coming. 
That doesn't mean you fake it right now, like you're all happy. You can just speak it like she did. It's coming. I can experience it, but it's coming. You can be sure of it. Jesus came. And you don't know if he's coming in your next verse. You don't know if, you, if you're in the place of repentance and John the Baptist is speaking to you, he's like, repent. He's coming. And you're like, all right, well, how do I repent? What do I even do? Repent the best way you can. Don't add personal judgment in it. That's not what this is about. Repent. You don't know if he's showing up. If he's already, like if he was walking through the forest, and it's, it's a wilderness, so there's probably trees. That's what I see in this picture. There's confession happening. There's baptism happening. And Jesus is already in the forest. Like, he's right there. He's so close. They don't even know it. He's the one that comes and gives new life. He's the one who tells us who we are, whose we are, what we're called to. He's the one that gives us purpose. He's the one leading us into the future. He did not make a mistake. If you have 25 years or 98 years, he did not make a mistake. If you're in the humdrum, if you're in the busyness of a city that's telling you who you are, that's making you bow to its own gods, step away from it. It's worth it. Step away. If you can't catch a break or catch up, step away from whatever it is. Give him space to remind you so that when the Pharisees and the Sadducees show up, you can have the prophetic voice of John the Baptist tell them where to go. But even better, Jesus speaks on your behalf. I would have loved it if he'd been in the woods and been like screaming at those guys. That's not Jesus' style. He doesn't do what we do, right? He doesn't take the bait. He doesn't fight the world because the world's the enemy right? He came because he loved and he's here. And he's challenging us to step into this space of Advent, to hear the words of John the Baptist, to not just, let's just not have a church that like just makes you feel real good because all of us want to belong, right? I mean, everybody here is, is here because in some way you really want to belong. And even deeper than that, you want meaningful belonging, which means it's connected to what you believe about Christ and God. So all of us want that, but let's not be a church that just settles with a collection of people that like to be together. What if each of us were to step into what God is calling each of us into? And if that triggered you, just the word calling, whatever way you would say it, what's supposed to be, how you're supposed to live. I mean, we don't want to use the word sin. We don't like using the word sin, but we all know the ways in which we're broken. And when we are broken, how, how, do we, how much do we want to be out of it? So today, I guess, the strongest thing I can say to you is, God is good, and he's coming, and he's already in the woods. Like, literally for you, he's already in the woods and what in your life like needs to be just given over so that you can walk, or you can drive your Honda Prelude without leaning back, or you can, in whatever way, right, in whatever way you've learned to just exist, broken. What if you allowed him to heal? What if he got access to the broken areas, the unforgiveness in you? What if he, what if when you heard the word repentance from here on out, it was a place you desired to be and not a place you would run from. You can stand to your feet.
I'm going to lead you through an imaginative prayer to close today. Good for you, Sarah? She's like, hallelujah. That's what I've been waiting on for two months. So I'm going to lead you through a prayer exercise. It's called imaginative prayer. It's, uh, it's not something I created. I would take credit for it if, if that was possible. It's been around. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. Take a couple breaths. Go ahead and picture in your mind where the busyness and the nonsense and the place you can't seem to get a grip is. Put yourself in the midst of that place. It could be your job. It could be your family. It could be uh, inner, inner turmoil. It could be anxiousness, anxiety. It could feel uh, like hopelessness. It could feel like confusion or torment. The place where it just feels like there's so much going on in this environment, I don't even know how to like think straight. Maybe it's your fears or your doubts. Maybe your lack of faith or your hatred towards yourself because you don't have faith. Put yourself in that spot. Now I want you to imagine that in your, as you're in this spot, you're feeling a deep, penetrating call to step out of it. And you even hear a voice that says, come to me, all who are burdened, all who are heavy, come to me. You don't know where it's coming from, but you step away from the nonsense and the noise and even picture yourself now stepping outside of what you've been in. Do it in your mind. Continue walking until you see a figure ahead of you. You're entering the wilderness. Recognize that in the wilderness as you walk, it's a bit dangerous. Could something jump out and eat you? Are you safe? You keep walking. You feel the warmth, the wind. You hear the trees and the leaves, the animal sounds. You hear water. You keep walking. As you get closer, there is a confusing and ridiculous figure. He looks right at you and he says, Prepare the way. The kingdom is close. Repent. Allow yourself space to actually let surface what's surfacing in your heart. What is it that you say there? And then here's some people around you that you didn't even recognize that were there. Start to get a little bit excited because you're about to be baptized. You walk over, confusingly, John the Baptist is about to baptize you. 
you get in the water, you're completely immersed. As you come up out of the water, you see walking towards you, Jesus. Jesus speaks to you during this baptism. Imagine it. He looks at you and he says to you, you are mine. You are not a mistake. Welcome to my family. Walk with me. Jesus, in this space, we just ask that your Holy Spirit would do the comforting and the healing and the restoration that your Holy Spirit would bring life and not death. For the self-accusers in here, as you hear the Pharisees and the Sadducees begin to speak those old lies back to you, they have no more power unless you let them have power. You're a son, you're a daughter. You have been chosen, you have been blessed. Father, we thank you that in this Advent season, we get to anticipate that you are going to be, that you will come, that you are here, but you're coming even more. Restore, rebuild, bring joy, bring peace. Just take a few moments. I just I just speak into you guys as, as strong as I can that if you do feel any kind of urgency or if you do feel any kind of um, work that's being done in your own heart that's so connected to what Jesus is trying to give to you not in a selfish way, but in a way that brings you life. So I would just say, maybe today you could just put your trust in that he cares for you better than you care for yourself. Allow him to do the work that he'd like to do. And even ask for it from your broken places. Father, I just pray that as our body goes this week, that we would continue to create space for you and to lean into you during this Advent season as we work towards Christmas, God. We thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Love you guys. Thank you again for joining us today. And please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com.